welcome to the sermon podcast of Orchardville Baptist Church in beautiful Moultrie, Georgia. We're so glad that you've chosen to listen in with us today. It is our hope that you will be encouraged by the Word of God and find growth in your everyday life. For more information about our church or for more digital resources, be sure to check us out on the web at OrchardvilleBaptist.com. And now for today's sermon. Is going to be about, and uh, Lord willing, we'll look at the last part of this prologue this morning, and uh, we'll be looking at verses 14 through 18. So I'll ask you, if you will, to please stand with your Bibles open in honor and in reverence of God's holy word as we begin reading in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for all you do for us. I'm so thankful that as we've just heard in song, no matter what condition we are in, if we'll simply cry out to you, you will hear that call for salvation. I pray, Lord, today, if there's anyone here who is lost, that, God, you would save them today, that you, your spirit, would convict them, show them beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, today, that they need to be saved. And I pray that, Lord, today they'll make the decision to surrender all, come to you, repent of their sin, and be saved. God, I pray today for every believer. Um, Again, as we've heard in song and we've talked about In prayer and heard in prayer, there's a lot of people who are hurting. There's a lot of people who are are struggling right now. God, may they be encouraged today that your grace never runs out. God, I pray today that whether a person is saved or lost, they would hear a word from you. May your spirit uh, touch every one of us here today. May our our spiritual ears be open and our spiritual eyes open to, to see and to hear from you, God, today. May we not quench your spirit nor ignore your spirit, but may we welcome what you have to say to us today. I ask, God, that you would bind and gag any demonic spirit that would want to cause any kind of confusion or chaos. Carry them far away, for they are not wanted here, Lord. But your spirit is, and may you have your way with your church. I ask now that I would decrease and you increase, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. As we look at these last few verses here in the prologue of John, we see, I believe, one of the most important, one of the most uh, deep verses, one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible is found in verse 14. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
as we, as I've been studying this, this passage over the last few weeks, it, it has become clear to me anyway that I believe that verse 14 is the key to this section of Scripture here. That I believe these remaining four verses sort of help com- make commentary on what verse 14 says. I believe you can take verse 14 and really divide it up into, into three parts and the other verses that we just read sort of add, again, commentary or help explain what verse 14 is saying. So this morning, I want to look at these three, three parts to verse 14. The first part I want you to notice is that God became a man. God became a man. Verse 14 starts off like this. And the word became flesh. Now we know from earlier in John, the word is a reference to Jesus Christ. He's always been God. He was God at the beginning. He created and and he's always been God. But yet the Bible says here he became flesh. God became a man. Now, when he did that, he had to empty himself of some things. The Bible says in the book of Philippians in chapter 2 in verses 7 and 8, but talking about Jesus, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. (coughs) Excuse me. We see here the word, he made himself of no reputation. What it means is he emptied himself of something. Jesus could not step out of glory again and come to this earth. He'd have burned all of us up by looking at him. So he had to lay aside part of that glory as he came to this earth. Uh, This made Jesus different than any other uh, religious person or figure that we see in history. It it certainly was different than, than, than John's day. In John's day, he was surrounded by Greek thinkers. In their mind, the flesh was something that was evil and it was wrong and and no God would ever become a man. But that's exactly what God did. Jesus was fully God and fully man when he came to this earth. It is called his incarnation as he came to this earth. See, he's always been God. But there was a time when he became a man, when he came to Bethlehem. Anyone who teaches that Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man on this earth is a, is a false teacher. And you need to stay away from false teachers because they'll lead you astray. Amen. But the Bible teaches us that God became a flesh, became a man. Jesus became a man when he came to Bethlehem. Matter of fact, verse 15 helps to illustrate that point. We see here where it says, John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me for he was before me. John, the apostle, the writer of the gospel of John is talking about John the Baptist here who we've been studying here recently. John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus, made a powerful statement. The Bible says that he that he cried out. He bore witness. He cried out. That meant that he said something repeatedly, dramatically. What it means is he didn't just whisper it. He wanted to make sure everybody knew it. And what did he cry out? He cried out here, this Bible says, this was he of whom it is said he came before, came after me, is preferred before me. Uh, that term preferred means of higher rank. Even though John the Baptist shows on the scene first, publicly. Jesus comes to him for baptism. John says, he's the one who is preferred above me. He's the one who's before me. He's the one of higher rank than me. Matter of fact, later on, he'll say, listen, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, not even his sandals. 
He says he was before me. Again, a, a reference to Jesus' pre-existence as the Word of God. Here, the Word of Jesus became a man, and John the Baptist points to the fact that this is he. So not only did he come, he become a man, but the Bible says he also became known. God became known. God became known. This is so fascinating, church. The Bible says in verse 14, And the Word became flesh, notice this, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. The only begotten of the Father. There's four things about this phrase I want us to notice. First, the word dwelt. The word dwelt, it means to, to pitch a tent. That means to pitch a tent somewhere. And, and to the Jews who first wrote, read, read this, they would immediately think about the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, do you remember the tabernacle? Well, when the, the nation of Israel left Egypt, they get to Mount Sinai. And God sends Moses up on Mount Sinai. He gets the Ten Commandments. But he also gets instructions on the tabernacle. He gives them instructions on this place of worship where they will bring their sacrifices, where they will put the Ark of the Covenant. And, and there they'll put the, the, the table of showbread and the, and the golden lampstand and the altar of incense. And God says, I'm going to meet with you there. And this tabernacle, this temporary church, you might say, they took it with them everywhere they went. And when they camped, the tabernacle was right in the middle of the camp. God's presence was right there in the middle of it. So he uses a word, dwell, that means to pitch a tent somewhere for a short period of time, a temporary stay. How long did Jesus pitch his tent here? 33 years he came to this earth. For 33 years, this world has never had it better than when the very Son of God walked on it. As he walked on this planet for 33 years, we're reminded about this word uh, dwelt or tent by the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is a very familiar passage, I believe, to many of us. You hear it many times at a funeral. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, Paul says this, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. He's referring to this earthly body we have. He calls it a tent. He says this tent we have, if it gets destroyed, if it gets burned up, if it gets tore up because we've been living for the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that we have an eternal home, an eternal building in heaven. What's he referring to? A glorified body. That's what he's referring to. Verse 2 says this, For in this we groan earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Does anybody here groan when you get up out of a chair? Does anybody here groan when you've raked the leaves the day before? Can anybody testify? I mean, these bodies we have, they, they wear out. And, and when we groan, we moan because they hurt. And we look forward to that day. We're going to get a glorified body that will never be sore again. Some of y'all take 30 pills a day just to function. Aren't you looking forward to the day when you won't need one single pill ever to take again? And that's what he's describing here. We're going to get this, this, this body one day. Verse 3, if indeed we have been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, but not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed with that mortality may be swallowed up by life. And we understand that, listen, one day we got to die to get it. Amen. But one day it's coming to us. Verse 5, now he who has prepared us for this very thing, is God who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Folks, I'm here to tell you, isn't it so glad that you know the Holy Spirit lives inside of you? 
that the Holy Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you're saved. Somebody doesn't have the Holy Spirit and they, 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 don't, they, don't have any, they don't have any confidence of eternal life in heaven. You know why? Because they don't. But God gives the Holy Spirit to those who are saved and it's like an engagement ring. Oh, here, let me tell you something. We are going to be married one day. There's going to be a wedding supper of the Lamb in glory one day. And the church is the bride of Christ and He gives the Holy Spirit to promise us of that reunion one day. So when he's talking about dwell, he just pitched a tent. He was there here for a short time. Jesus Christ came to this earth in the form of a man, a man who could be beaten, who could be strapped to a post and have literally the skin of his back ripped off by a cat of nine tails and then most of the skin on his chest ripped off. He was a man who had a beard that could literally be pulled out by a Roman soldier, hands that could hold nails that would driven through him, feet that would have a nail driven through him. He could die a body that was beaten and bruised. But, oh, friend, let me tell you something. He doesn't look like that anymore. He is as a glorified body. He arose from the dead. And I'm telling you, when John the, John the apostle, who spent three years with him, who walked with him, who ate with him, who slept next to him, who saw all those things about Jesus, when he sees him glorified, he falls down because he thinks he's dead. He didn't even recognize him. Folks, I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ, he came to this earth as a man and he dwelt for a short period of time. But now he is glorified. Oh, friend, what a glorious thing that is. There's something else I want you to see here about this verse or this phrase. Not only did he dwell among us, but we beheld his glory. That word beheld, it means to wonder. It means to, to study something to where you can uh, d- d- deliberate on it. It gives the idea of, of studying something that you enjoy. Uh, I don't know if y'all know about this, but again, football season is here. And let me tell you something, when I watch a football game, I beheld it. I study it. I don't want to just watch it. I want to see who's doing what and why they're doing that. I, like, I enjoy watching that, okay? That's what this word means. He's not saying Jesus came by and he just got to zip through at what came in and out of town just like that. No, no, no. They studied him. They got to see him uh, for who he is. And, and the Bible tells us here that not only did we see that they, he dwelt with them, but they beheld him, they studied him, which is very important because we are reading here an eyewitness account of the very Son of God who came to this earth. But the Bible says, not what do we beheld? He beheld his glory. When we think about this word glory, in the Old Testament, we, we see this reference, the Shekinah glory of God. That's the visible presence of God. When they built the tabernacle or set the tabernacle up, the Bible says that, the, that God descended on that place. He was so clouded, nobody could do anything. Nobody could see anything. When Moses went on Mount Sinai, the Bible says a thick cloud came over that mountain. And it was the very presence of God there. When they built the temple and when in Solomon's day, the Bible says that the glory of God filled that place and nobody could do anything. It was an undeniable presence of God that they saw in the Old Testament. Here, when we see it in the New Testament referring to Jesus Christ, what he's saying is that, listen, we beheld the glory of God. When we saw Jesus, we saw God's presence. It was undeniable. Who else can raise dead people? Jesus can. 
Who can give sight to the blind that are born blind? Jesus can. God can. Who can walk on water? God can. I don't have time this morning. We'll get into it at a later sermon. But it's very important we understand specific miracles were done and recorded in the book of John because according to the rabbis of that day, certain miracles could only be done by the Messiah. You want to know why certain ones are recorded and others are not? Because the rabbis of that day said when the Messiah comes, only he will be able to do this. Jesus did those same miracles. He proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the glory of God. This is the presence of God. This is God Almighty in your presence. What an incredible thing for John to write here in this verse. He says here that first he dwelt and among us and that we beheld what his glory and notice what kind of glory it was. It was the glory of the, as of the only begotten of the father, the only begotten of the father. This phrase has caused a share of confusion over the last 2000 years. It has caused some people because of how this word can be translated to think that Jesus came into existence at Bethlehem. As we've already talked about, he became a man at Bethlehem. He'd always been God. He's always been God from the very beginning because he is God and he's always been God. This term only begotten, it means someone who is unique, someone who is different than any other kind. The one of a kind, only of a kind. Many times the scripture is used in reference like in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 7, verse 12, referring to the only son of a mother. Later on in 8, verse 42, the only daughter of Jairus. means there's only one of them. Here, it refers to Jesus Christ being the only one. He is a unique position in the Trinity that no one else has, no one else will take. He is God the Son. There is God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and there is God the Son. He is God, always going to be God. No one will ever be like Him, and He's always been like that. The Creator. As John is laying out these these terms for us, I believe he gives us more insight to that in verse 18. Notice verse 18. He says, and no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son whom is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. As we think about how God became a man and he, God became known. It is through Jesus Christ coming to this earth and living out the life that he did. Nobody has seen God at any time, but when they saw Jesus, they saw God. Jesus said, when you see me, you are looking at the Father. This, there's an interesting phrase here. It says in this verse, the only begotten of the Son who is in the bosom of the Father. That describes a, a closeness. It, it describes an uninterrupted relationship and fellowship that is there. It's letting know that Jesus, when he was on this earth, was giving insights about the Father, showing them about the Father that they had not seen before. God uh, became known as Jesus came to this earth. But that term, uh, in the bosom, can also be translated in the right hand. Matter of fact, that's how we see Jesus described most time in the New Testament. At the right hand of the Father, that place of power and authority. In verse 18, he is saying, No one saw God at any time, only the begotten Son who was in the bosom of the Father or the right hand of the Father. He has shown us the Father. And it says, He has declared Him. When he talks about He there, he's referring to Jesus, has declared Him the Father. That word declared there, it means to tell a narrative or to tell a story, to recount a story, not to be real quick about it, but to just kind of give you the details of it. 
Here, Jesus' life, he is declaring the Father to them. The Jews in Jesus' day, they would have never thought of calling God Father. But Jesus taught his disciples, this is how you pray. Our Father who art in heaven. Our Abba who is in heaven. That's how he showed God. He, he made known, God was made known through Jesus coming to this earth. But then I want you to notice the, the third part, the final part here to John 14. The Bible says in John 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the father. Notice this last part, full of grace and truth, full of grace and truth. When we look at John chapter 14, we see that God became a man. God became known and God became our salvation and strength. Uh, this phrase, full of grace and truth. The word full means that he is the fullness of it. He has everything that is there. The word grace means God's unmerited favor. God's goodness to us that we cannot pay back, that we do not deserve. That grace that he gives us when he saves us. And aren't you glad for grace? I underline grace every time I see it in the Bible. Because the Bible says, I, 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 am, I, am, I am depraved. The Bible says there's no goodness in me. The Bible says that, that, that I, there's nothing righteous in my life. And God saves me anyway by his grace. The only goodness about me, the only righteousness about me is Jesus. I could not earn it. I could not buy it. And yet he showed me that grace, not just to save me, but to give me what I'll need for the day. The Bible says here, he's full of grace and truth. That means the reality, the evidence of the facts, what is pure and right without error. I'm telling you, we live in a day of of, of false or fake news. Misinformation is everywhere. But you know where you'll find the truth? You'll find it right here in God's word. You'll find it in Jesus. And here's the truth of the matter. You are not good enough. Here's the truth. You you in and of yourself will not be able to save yourself. Even after you're saved, you and your ability will not accomplish anything for the kingdom of God. You you alone are not needed for God to be God. You are not needed for heaven to be heaven. The truth of the matter is God is God. He doesn't need us. He chooses to save us even though we are not worthy of it. There's so many people who think they're doing a favor for God when they serve Him or do something for Him or they're doing a favor when they come to God's house to worship Him. I love it how Brother Jerry prayed. What a privilege it is to gather to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. I know right now there's a lot of people not here because of COVID. I I, I get that. And listen, if you don't need to be here, you don't need to be here because of that. Y'all understand what I'm saying? But there's a lot of people who simply have no desire to be with God's people this morning. Y'all understand the difference? Y'all on Facebook know the difference. There's, 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 there's this pandemic we've got going. I'm not talking about that. There's folks who physically can't be, cannot be here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there's a group of people that there's no reason under the sun why they could not physically be here to worship God. They simply have no desire. You know why they have no desire? Because they're lost. They're lost. They're doomed and they're going to hell. And to God be the glory, that's the truth of the matter. But the truth is also this, that if a person will give their heart and life to Christ, God will save them and change them. They'll be born again. They'll have a new mind. They'll be a new creature. They'll have more desires. They'll love what they used to hate and hate what they used to love when they get saved. Isn't that awesome? That's the truth of the matter. We try to get cute about things, but the truth is the truth. And Jesus will lay it out. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I'm so worked up about preaching John 3. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle it. 
I'm telling you, He is so abundantly clear on the facts. And we live in a day when there's so many Christians who are simply ignorant of it. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I'm so frightened for so many people I know that call themselves Christians and church members. It scares me slapped to death. I'm telling you, I, I, one of my favorite preachers made a comment the other day, if you claim Jesus is your Savior and you're not living for him, you are a liar. Just a liar. How can he be your Savior and you not live for him? Those two things do not match. They don't come together. Let, let me get back to the sermon here. It says here in verse 16, And of his fullness, of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. Folks, when he talks about that fullness, once again, it means the completeness. Everything is complete in Jesus. In Colossians 2, 9 and 10, For in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, talking about Jesus, who is the head of all principality and power. You know what that means? That means that when you get Jesus, you are saved and you can't get any savedder. And you can't lose your salvation because you are sealed in him. Just make sure that you are saved. Jesus is, is and what he's saying is, is that Jesus is the answer. He is our need. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he said this, in chapter 3, verse 8, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Paul said, you can throw away everything else I got. About my heritage, everything, throw it all away. What I long is to know Jesus Christ. That is all I need. He would go on to say in chapter 4, verse 13, that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him. He could later go on to say in chapter 4, verse 19, about God supplied, God supplied all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A man who's under house arrest but for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only thing he needed was Jesus. When we look here at, at verse 16, we see he is the fullness. And he says here in verse 16, he is the fullness we have all received. Now remember, church, when we started this study, we were in chapter 20, and we looked at the purpose of this book. John wrote to believers to strengthen them against all the false teaching. So when he talks about we have all received, he's talking to believers. He's not saying that everybody's going to heaven because everybody's not going to heaven. Matter of fact, if we study the scripture, the scripture says there's a highway to hell and that's where most of the people are going. The way to heaven is narrow and very few will find it, he says. So he says to believers, we have received this grace for grace. Folks, I, I've been waiting all week to say this. I love this. Grace is an interesting way to say it, but what it means is there's grace on top of grace. Awesome. Do you know there's grace on top of grace? For believers. It's like you get saved and you think, man, it can't get any better than this. You're saved. Guess what? There's more coming. There's more coming. There's more coming. God is not through. When you get saved, it's just the beginning of your journey with you. think God's been good to you up to now? What he's saying is you ain't seen nothing yet. You had seen nothing. You know, when you get in the Word of God and you begin to learn something, all of a sudden God shows you some spiritual truth and just knocks your spiritual socks off and you get so excited and you see a promise in God's Word or you see something that He has said that He will do for you and you get all excited. You think, man, this is so awesome. Man, I learned something great. You know that the next day He'll have something else for you. There. More grace. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul, he had a thorn in his flesh. 
And he prayed three times for God to take it away. And you know what God told him? My grace is sufficient for you, son. My grace is what you need. And I will always have grace for you. It's like the, the mercies and grace are new every morning. As I was studying this text, I came across one Greek scholar who said that, that when he says grace is grace for grace, it gives a picture in the Old Testament of the Jews when they were on their wilderness journey. You remember God gave a manna from heaven? Every day they went out and got a substance they could make bread with. And for 40 years, God provided for them. They went out on Monday. God had enough for Monday. They went out on Tuesday, had enough for Tuesday. They went out Wednesday, there was enough on Wednesday. They went out Thursday, there was enough on Thursday. They went out Friday, guess what? There was enough for Friday and Saturday. Because on Saturday, the Sabbath, there was none. And then on Sunday, they went back out and there was enough for Sunday. Every single day, God provided what they would need. They didn't have to plant it. They didn't have to water it. God just provided it. That's what this means. Every day of your life as a child of God through Jesus Christ, you will be given the grace that you need. Don't think you're going to exhaust the grace of God because you're not. Because as long as you walk on this planet, you're going to be like me. You're going to need it. You're going to need it. You're going to mess up and you're going to need God's grace. You're going to feel like you are being crushed. And you don't feel like you could go on any further. You're going to need the grace of God to get you through that day. I'm telling you, it's there over and over and over again. I don't know about you, but that really excites me. As a child of God, my God will always supply my needs. He says in verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. When he says the law came through Moses, in the Old Testament, remember Moses went up on Mount Sinai, God gave him the law. Those guidelines we see, the Ten Commandments and others, he gave him those commandments, and guess what? The law in and of itself is not a bad thing. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, if you use it correctly, it is a great thing. The law was to protect God's people, was to help them see the holiness of God. The law was to, to show them and point them ultimately one day to their need for a Savior. The law was never intended to save anybody. You know why? Because you can't keep it. There are people who think they can be good enough to get into heaven. It's a biblical impossibility. You can't keep the Ten Commandments. I'm telling you, you can't do it. You say, well, I've not, never done those bad things. Have you ever put anything in your life ahead of God? Yes, you have. Yes, you have. And don't say you hadn't. We all have. We have broken. God didn't rank them very often. When he did rank them, the very first thing we could not do was put something ahead of him. And don't tell me you hadn't done it. Don't tell me you had put yourself ahead of him. Have you obeyed every single one of his laws? Well, no. Well, then, you put somebody ahead of God, didn't you? You see, so, so the, the, the law was never meant to save us. Matter of fact, the law was given to us to point us to Christ, actually. And the Bible says, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Salvation. Here, our salvation, it comes through Jesus Christ. He is our salvation. He is our strength. It comes through him and him alone. We simply cannot earn it, church. We cannot buy it. It's all by his grace, and it comes through Jesus. In these verses, tell us that God came to us in Jesus, taking on the flesh. We could not go to him, so he came to us. 
so that we might know him and that we might be saved by him and strengthened by him. You may have heard this story. I, I, I came across it a while back, but it was a story of a, a little girl who was drawing a picture. And her mother asked her, well, what are you drawing? She said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the mother knew what John chapter 1 says. No one's seen God. She says, well, well, baby, nobody's seen God. She said, well, they will when I get through with it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I uh, watched a National Geographic documentary a few years ago. They took the, the shroud of Tor- Torin. They think is, some people believe, is a, the actual cloth that, was, that Jesus was wrapped up in. And uh, I don't know if it is or didn't. My trust and faith is not in artifacts or relics. It's in Jesus Christ. <laughs> But they took this particular cloth from that era and blood stains, and they tried to superimpose it with all kind of computer stuff and different graphics and tried to come up with a face of Jesus and what Jesus might have looked like. And for all I know, they, they may have hit, it, hit the nail on the head, may have been right. Here's all I know is that one day because Jesus saved me, I am going to see him face to face. One of my favorite songs from back in the day was from a group that said, one of these days I'm going to take the hands who took the nails from me. One of these days I'm going to stand in his presence. and Oh, what a day that's going to be. That's going to be a glorious day. And until that day gets here, my God has promised to give me the grace I will need to live for him every single minute until that time. So really, if I'm worried about stuff, I don't need to be because my God's promised to take care of it. His will and his plan is always going to be better than mine. I just need to learn to trust him and not worry about stuff because he's always going to provide. And that's for you too, child of God, this morning. Understand he's never going to run out of the grace for you that you'll need. One day we will see him. One day, what a glorious day. But remember now, it's only for those who have received that grace. Only for those who are saved. See, if you're here today and you've never been saved, you're not going to see him face-to-face like we are. Uh, your situation is going to be much different. Uh, the Bible calls it the great white throne of judgment that you're going to be at. And, I, and, I, and again, I don't know how bad it's going to be. I know it's going to be bad. Because you thought you were good enough and you didn't need Jesus. You could live your life however you wanted to live it. You didn't need to submit to his authority. You didn't need to read his book. You didn't need to pray to him. And you didn't need to worship him. You you had it all figured out. You're so smart. And one day you will have to give an account for every action you've done. And none of it will be good enough to save you. You will have your day in court. And you will plead and plead and plead with Jesus. And you will plead with God. But it will be too late. And you'll be doomed. The Bible says that you will experience what they call a second death. You'll go from a place of torment to an eternal fire where you'll be tormented forever. Folks, I hope that's not where where you're going to be. I hope today you can know beyond a shadow of doubt that heaven is your home. How can you know that? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Does his spirit live inside you? Does his spirit bear witness with your spirit that you're saved? That's what the Bible says will happen. Are you living for Jesus? If you're living in darkness now, you're walking in sin, 
John calls you a liar if you say you're saved because that's not how a believer lives. Uh, today, what do you need to do? Do you need to be saved? Or today, you just need to praise him for the grace he's provided. See, in just a minute, I'm going to be right there. Brother Aaron's going to be right there. And whether you're listening online or you're here today, if you need to make a decision for Christ, you need to make it, okay? As we've already heard in the song, cry out to Jesus, he will save you today. My prayer won't save you, but, but, but your prayer will if you call out to him. You must admit to God that you are a sinner and be willing to repent of that sin, turn away from that sin. And if you're turning away from that sin, you are turning to Jesus. And you've got to believe that he is the son of God, that he died on the cross for all of your sin, that he rose again three days later. If you will believe and trust in that, that he will save you, you must see, confess him as your Savior and Lord. When you confess him as Savior and Lord, you are simply praying, asking him to come into your life, and you are giving your life to him and submitting to his authority. He is called Lord over a hundred more times than he's called Savior in the New Testament. That means you are giving your life to him. You are pledging allegiance to him. Have you made that decision? If not, today's the day. Today's the day. Don't put it off any longer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. I pray now, God, that your spirit would move in every heart that is here. From the one standing in this pulpit to the one sitting on the very last row. God, if there's anyone here who's lost, God, please save them. And God, they're believers. And, Lord, maybe they've strayed. They need to get right with you. I pray they will today. I pray, Lord, today if they are struggling and they are being feel like they're being crushed, Lord, remind them, show them that your grace is sufficient and will always be sufficient. Oh, God, today would you move mightily in our presence. I pray that you save souls and challenge your church, strengthen your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.